everybody. Welcome to Utterly Astounded, where eschatology meets current events meets real life. At least my regular real life at home here in Southern California. Today, I have the first of two sessions with Pastor Joe Schimmel. He's a terrific pastor. I've been friends with he and his wife, Lisa, for 25 years. He's the pastor of Blessed Hope Chapel in Simi Valley and the president of Fight the Good Fight Ministries. He's been married for 35 years. Both he and his wife have been in ministry that same amount of time. They have three kids and five grandkids. And Joe has been doing a presentation for the last 30 years called They Sold Their Souls for Rock and Roll. And it's an expose on the sinister nature of a lot of secular music. He's done the presentation all over the world. It's very well received and it's very eye-opening. I will provide a link to the website where you can find information about that presentation. You might be interested to learn more about how influential and seductive secular music can be. or Maybe you know someone who could use the information. And I'll also provide a link to Fight the Good Fight Ministries and his church website. So as you hear his testimony, you'll see how the presentation that he does fits into what he was delivered from when he got saved. In this session, We'll hear his testimony and also a couple of really encouraging stories of how he handled persecution while witnessing right here on the streets of Hollywood and in the streets of Jerusalem, actually. So in the next session, you'll hear really from a pastor's heart on how to strengthen your spiritual spine. Look to the future with confidence. And I say, even though the Chaldeans are coming. Remember, that's a reference to Habakkuk. This podcast is named for that verse where Habakkuk is frightened because he comes. Well, he says, here comes those bloodthirsty people. And God says, look among the nations, be utterly astounded for I will do a work in your days, which you would not believe, though it were told to you. So I don't know. I've said this before. What form the Chaldeans are going to take. I just think they're coming. So Joe is just the right amount of courage and compassion. So that's why I wanted to talk to him about navigating our troubled times as we move closer to the Lord's return. So he's dynamic. He loves the Lord. He loves the people of God. And very importantly, he loves the lost. So here we go with part one with Pastor Joe Schimmel. We have a very important topic. We are talking about navigating our troubled times with the gentleness of Jesus and the courage of Joshua. And so we're going to talk about how we do that. But I'd love first to start off with your testimony. If you could just let us know how you came to know the Lord. Yeah, I'll try to let you know in (laughs) 10 minutes or less. I was your typical rebellious kid in a non-Christian home. And I opened myself up to, you know, the party scene, of course, and I lived in this track that was called the Stoner Track, you know, and we ended up uh, just getting involved in a lot of darkness. And uh, there was a time in my life where the occult started becoming more attractive. Uh, but I wouldn't have considered myself if someone said, "Are you an occultist?" You know, other than doing some stupid things like at a graveyard with my friends, things like that. I was more into getting into the mind sciences, the power of the subconscious mind. Uh, a couple books I found laying around the house. One was called Psycho Cybernetics. The other, The Power of the Subconscious Mind. I just picked them up, and I wasn't an avid reader then. Uh, I became an avid reader after I came to Christ and wanted to and fell in love with His Word and truth. But at that time, I, I just read here and there, and I just saw these books, and I started reading them, and 
So he started talking about programming your subconscious mind. And I began to uh, do the techniques that were supposed to unlock this reservoir of power. And this, these books came the guise of science, you know. And you're a young, impressionable kid. You're thinking, oh, they know what they're talking about. And guess what? I started getting results. I was bombarded by all kinds of occult experiences, not realizing they were demonic at the time. Thinking, wow, I have unleashed this power in my subconscious mind. This is incredible. And at first, it came in manifestations of hearing music uh, in my dreams that I'd never heard before. Uh, lyrics that would I, I would write through it when the occult, which is called automatic writing. Didn't know that was an occult technique, but the thoughts would just, I'd have a song that was, it just like, felt like it had to come out. That was just, all the words were just right there. And they were unique to me. It wasn't words I'd be thinking, oh, I'm going to write this song. I'll send this story be before me or, or lines. And I'll give you a few examples of that for the audiences. And they were very, often very dark lyrics, like treacherous meadows touched by the devil, burning with calamity and subdued by disease. And just very poetic and uh, very dark. And I'll give you one example of a song uh, that just shows you the influences I was under. And it was uh, the first song that I'd ever written. And it was called My Family or My Soul. And the first line was, I was falling forever deeper into the hole. I couldn't be freed. The devil was grasping my soul. I could hear my mother screaming and my sisters dreaming and my father dying and my brother crying. And at first I was troubled at the devil for the reason. Then the choice had dawned. It would be my soul or that of my family's to be treasoned. I could not win to be a devil or a demon. And so I'm in this like battle for my soul or their souls and you know, and, and then the song ends with, there I lie at the final bottom to say goodbye. And so I won, or maybe so, and so I left with my soul and began to rock and roll. So the idea was selling my family's souls for rock music, which is even more wicked and treacherous. And of course, I was not a Christian. I didn't have a biblical worldview. I was not even a theist. I didn't even believe in God. I just, I knew there was something higher than me, but I wouldn't call it God. I think that was my carnal, fleshly nature, uh, just antagonistic to the things of, of God and his authority. So I tried to understand, you know, this was coming from my subconscious mind. And if somebody said, well, how can you write about selling your family's souls to the devil, even though my friends would probably think that was cool, I would just explain, well, that's, you know, that's an anthem of just how much I love music. It's not like I sell my soul. I don't believe in that stuff. Little did I know, I'm being played like a flute, and enemies give me these lyrics, because oftentimes the lyrics transcended uh, my awareness of, you know, grammar, my awareness of trying to tell a story, uh, metaphors, it was all beyond me at the time. And I was literally being basically indoctrinated into a New Age worldview, uh, not realizing I was, I mean, I was writing about reincarnation, I was writing about the powers of, of the inner, you know, inner space, uh, and tapping in, you know. Little Miss Medium, instead of Little Miss Muffet was one of my lines, Little Miss Medium, can you awaken the dead masters of your sleep? I didn't know what mediums were, that they would, and they channel masters, they call them ascended masters, they find out later after I became a Christian. So I'm basically indoctrinating through my lyrics, and my music style was very Eastern, and uh, as I continued to excel, I actually was designing two different musical instruments on paper, uh, and, and it, my music, my words were all very Eastern, esoteric, and I was gaining a, the very kind of worldview that a lot of people were being manipulated already by the spirit world through a lot of different bands. And the Bible says, you know, Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, that the Holy Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter days some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctors of demons. There's not many things that are more seducing than music, you know? So true. Yeah, and Satan, as we know, when we read Isaiah 14, he's brought down to, to Sheol, it says, 
his musical instruments specifically we brought down with him. He's called the anointed cherub in Ezekiel chapter 28. We know in Revelation chapter 4 and 5, it's the cherubim that lead the, the worship. It starts with them, then it goes to the 24 elders, and it goes to everybody else. Well, this time I'm oblivious to the spiritual world, music, and as far as th those powers. But during this time, I'm writing all these songs. My friends are all, you know, they're just tripping out on it. I'm having my covers pulled down. I'm sliding down my bed. I'm turning sideways in my bed, having these very demonic experiences that are very, very... I'd go into a state of paralysis, and there'd be a humming sound, like the emergency broadcast sound, all while, I'm, all while I'm doing these weird meditations. And you had no idea until after you got saved what that was, really. Yeah, I had no idea. I had, there was no internet, you know. I'd say, hey, yeah. Dad. My dad would be up at like, <laughs> 1 in the morning. Hey, Dad, you ever have an experience like this, or what is this? And he goes, you mean like the humming in the refrigerator over there? I'm like this kid that's <laughs> right. like oblivious to what's going on. And they didn't understand the spiritual world. It was later, you know, after I became a Christian that I'd like, most popular FM song of all time is Stairway to Heaven. One of the lines is, if your head is humming, it won't go in case you don't know, the piper's calling you to join him. Mm -hmm. And Robert Plant, who wrote that song, uh, said that three quarters of the words came out automatically, you know? Just like what you're talking about yeah. that was happening to you. It, exactly, right. And then, I, and then, well, what happened is when I started having these really demonic experiences and, and then these entities began to manifest, I started to roll out of bed during one of my bad experiences and it was just very clear, hold on. Hold on. Not even that emotional. Just hold on. Hold on. And I started to stop in my heart. Like, should I stop? And I just kept rolling. And I was like crying. I remember looking in the mirror, holding my hair, just like, leave me alone. Because I realized it wasn't my subconscious. That I'm in touch with something spiritual now. And they're intelligent. And by demonic, evil lyrics, they can no longer justify as my subconscious tapping into this impersonal and subconscious. And it was going to be popular in the 80s, which is, by the way, all that kind of music, the metal and stuff. But those types of lyrics became very popular right after that. Uh, I started to realize I was touching with, with spirits and these spirits had to be evil because they were tormenting me. And at the same time, and I believe they have very wicked natures and because they're wicked natures, uh, like humans who are fallen and not regenerated, can't help but, you know, they just choose evil. Uh, these guys still do evil. And because I was trying to figure out why were they giving themselves away? And then when I began to, uh, you know, in the midst of one of my experiences, I cried out to the Lord because I didn't. You know, then I recognized, you know what? I, I said, only in goodness, only if this is good, because I didn't recognize God at first. And then I was like, well, there's evil. There must be a good, there must be, God must exist then. And then. Now, did you grow up in the Catholic church at all? Uh, Just yeah, sort you know, of nominal? Going, or... We weren't going at that time, but we okay. were little. We were brought to, to the Catholic church. And so, so maybe forth. you had heard about who Jesus was in yeah, a sort of distant way. I, you know, there was, it's, it's a distant theatrical kind of, you know, uh, representation of and a, a, a perversion of Christianity, really. But then there was also my carnal nature. So it was two fallen, fallen organization. Mm -hmm. And of course, from the get go, I mean, I was never had never been regenerated. I was doing my own, own thing at that time. And we went to the Catholic Church when I was younger, and we'd stopped going a few years before this situation. But uh, that was instinctive for you to then call out to the Lord, sort of. Well, I was having a battle with God. So and I, and I was erasing him and. The, you know, it says in Romans chapter 1 that it talks about suppressing uh, the knowledge of God. And I was doing that. And, and and that word suppress means to hold down. It's like a kid holding down Jack in the Box. He doesn't want to face him. But God's not Jack in the Box. He's our creator and redeemer. But Because I'd written lyrics like, you know, one song was called Disappointment is Your Friend. And this, that, that was a take on Jesus' words. 
you know, you'll know the truth, the truth will set you free. Not knowing Jesus' words, but it was a take on that concept of being set free. But it's being set free from Christianity. So I had this antagonism, antagonism was glorifying Satan. But that song, one of the lines was, your God is your myth, your myth is your God. That God's a myth. Even though I knew there was something bigger than me. Well, now I'm realizing, wait, all my lyrics are anti-Christs. They're, they're not anti-Buddha, they're not anti-Muhammad, but, but they're anti-God, they're anti-Christ, they're pro-Satan. And I thought it was just, you know, a lot of people, all oh, these rock bands, they just do it for, you know, it's just for, you know, uh, publicity and what have you. Well, guess what? That's how many of them maybe start. They don't realize what the spirit they're under. The Bible talks about the spirit, uh, the prince of power of the air, the spirit that works through the children of disobedience as he guides the course of this world, Ephesians 2. So a lot of people are being guided in one degree or another, and they don't even know it. So what happened is I started, so there was already that conflict where there was this anti-Christ spirit that I was under, not realizing that it was a spirit and not realizing that Christ was real and Satan was real. So when I realized the spirit was real and it was trying to use me uh, to whatever degree, I don't know if I would have been just doing clubs or would have blown up or whatever Satan had for me, I just realized, wow, this is this is real. So in the midst of one of my experiences, I cried out to God and I said, and it was the most feeble prayer ever prayed. It was only in goodness. It wasn't like, Lord God, have mercy on me. I've sinned. It was because I was in that state of paralysis. Boom, it hit. And you could feel it coming on. And boom, I was in it. And a humming sound. I said, only, only, only if it's good. And it stopped immediately. I was like, what in the world? Because I could never get that experience to stop. I had to wait it out. And I eventually accepted it and would basically meditate when that happily happened to me. Now it stopped right away. And I was like, what in the world, you know? And then that, at that moment, I think I was convinced. But I think I was still pondering to a degree. And uh, it was, and then it happened again like a week or two later. And I did it more direct, hopefully a better prayer, you know. <laughs> like, God, save me, have mercy. It stopped again. Yeah. Couldn't even move my mouth, but in my heart. And it stopped immediately again. And part of me was like, part of me was like, and I, I was ashamed to even say it, but part of me, a thought rose up, but didn't get very far. It was like, how can you let this happen to me? Which was such a ridiculous thought because I was in such rebellion, right? And then right as that thought started to come up, I thought, no. You're the one that blew it. I well, isn't that human nature? We tend to yeah. blame God yeah, right, for right. our own sin. Right. <laughs> right. And, but it, it lasted like a fraction of a second, that thought, because then I realized, that's my fault. I was in rebellion to you. And I didn't even think of those terms of being in rebellion to God and so forth. And all of a sudden, and then I cried out to him, you know, and I got on my knees and uh, sought him because I knew that I just wanted to humble myself before him, tore down all my wallpaper, which is all my Led Zeppelin posters and my one Jimi Hendrix poster. And, uh, which just covered my room, kicked in my Fender amp. I'm not playing music anymore. I went play music for a few years later until my wife bought me acoustic guitar when I got married later and uh, a couple years after we were married, maybe a year and a half, and you know, written some praise songs and stuff because I didn't want to get near it. Got rid of my guitar. And uh, then all of a sudden I'm like, don't know any Christians, but I'm reading his word. And the words are jumping off the page because now I'm seeing, wow, talks about the spiritual war. Wow, Satan is a musical angel. Wow, he's, he's, the world's shrouded in darkness with doctrines of demons, and we wrestle against flesh and blood, and there's, our weapons are not carnal, but mighty through God. And I started to see this whole biblical worldview. And history's linear, and it's moving toward its culmination at this battle called Armageddon. And, and, and God is sovereign over this whole thing. He's allowing it to play out. And here as human beings, we're, we're called to, you know, choose him or not, you know, and we, and it's all laid out before us. It's like, and all of a sudden, the Bible makes sense. Absolutely. And you love his word. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, I started reading through uh, one of the gospel accounts, and I'm not even sure which one it was, but I think it was John, 
and I'm reading through the crucifixion and I'm this new believer. And, and I have to say, Lynn, at that time I was like, I didn't know any Christians. I didn't know the gospel. I just, God was merciful, you know, draw near to him and draw near to you. And uh, he was opening up my heart and my mind by his Holy Spirit. And I, I, I understood, you know, that I, 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 knew, I knew it was Christianity. I knew because I rejected. Uh, that's what the songs were against, this weak view of Christianity that I was uh, not true Christianity, that I was bludgeoning uh, through some of my lyrics. So uh, when I got through the God, I started to weep as I was reading about Jesus' crucifixion. And, and I knew he had died for me, you know, or died. I was like, you know, did he die for me? Or would he accept me? Have I been too evil? Have I been too bad? And then I certain promises, you know, just I've clung to since the very beginning where Jesus, I would see when people come to him, he'd never reject him. And he said, whoever comes to me, I will not cast away. Don't you love that? It's such a beautiful oh, truth. God. And then Paul in 1 Timothy 15 where I'm reading about him, and, and he says, I was a persecutor of the church. I was the chief of sinners. But he said, God saved me to show others in the future that if they put their faith in him, he will accept them too. And I was like, wow, Paul saved this terrorist named Saul who's having Christians killed, and he calls himself the chief of sinners, and he saves him to let me know that I can be saved. Right. <laughs> so so I began it, and I was just started pouring through the scriptures, and, and, uh, and that Christ became my life. So... And the beauty of that was, uh, you know, seeing my mom get saved. She came to one of these. People started to, I started to look through all my music and stuff I was into and say, wow, I know these guys have been, you know, so many of these different artists, top artists have been affected and been, been being used. If, if little old me was being used and I hadn't even blow up yet, how much more a lot of these guys that are singing about these same themes and have these, these incredibly, you know, these, these tunes that just draw you in. And I began to look at them. I started seeing all this evidence. I started reading their biographies. Oh, wow, this guy Hendricks talks about going to the state of paralysis and hearing this weird sound. I started saying, oh, yep, yep, yep. So I was able to say, hey, look at the continuity. And I, so I began to witness to my family and friends through opening up the scriptures, exposing the darkness. The Bible says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. So I began to show them that they, the modern idols of our day are the celebrities. We don't bow down to images of Buddha typically in America. We bow down to the money. We bow down to self. We bow down to entertainment. And it, it brings us down that broad road of destruction. So the, the beauty was that that wicked song about selling my family's souls to hell was all reversed. So the first, uh, my mom, I did a, a live presentation at a church. They asked me to go to. I was probably 18 years old or so, 19 or so. And, and uh, she accepted the Lord at that presentation. Uh, my sister Patty, uh, my brother Tom, my sister Peggy, uh, Kathy, who Lynn, you're yes. very good friends with. You're, we we all love you. You're love great, you guys great too. Gal, you know? <laughs> and uh, she, they all got saved. Yes, you know? in this colossal work of God, the whole family really. It was just yeah. stunning and wonderful. Amen. And my friends that I hung out with, uh, guy named Dave Nelson, uh, Steve Riley, uh, Mike Johnson, the closest guys I was to that I was partying with and everything else. And they must have been amazed at your deliverance, really, from the rock and roll that you followed religiously, if you will, yeah. to someone who completely rejected that and was now basically praising and singing to Yeah, I was immersed, and I'm sure at first they thought I was a Jesus freak. I remember sharing <laughs> with them and seeing their eyes, you know, like just like, oh, God, listen, because he's my friend or my son or my brother, you know, or whatever. Right. And then in time, uh, they knew deep down, you know, the Holy Spirit was convicting them. And one by one, like dominoes, they began to come to Christ. And to this day, I just rejoice and uh, my whole full family has been a great part of this fellowship at Blessed Hope for years. And a couple of them had moved to Idaho, but they're part of the live stream Blessed Hope over there. Right. So God is, the Lord is good. What Satan meant for evil, 
God turned good. And, and turned beauty for ashes. That's right. Look at Paul. We're talking about what he was doing, and then God changed it around, you know? Yes, and he was so thankful. I was kind of been studying him, just so thankful for his yeah. salvation because he had been delivered from so much, and he knew the depth of what God had saved him from. And Amen. so he just loved the Jews to the point where I was just uh, talking about that when, <laughs> when the mob is after him. And they take him away because they have to protect him. And what does he say to the commander? Oh, no, please let me speak to the yeah. people. They just tried to kill him, <laughs> right. but he could not be deterred. Yeah. It's just remarkable. It is amazing. Yeah. So we're going to have to be a little bit like Paul, it seems to me, in these last days, Joe. So let me ask you, uh, when we see what's happening in our world, in our country, we know persecution is heating up. Of course, we have the situation in Canada. I'm sure you're probably familiar with that. James yeah. Coates was arrested. Yeah. And then they did finally let him out after I think it was 35 days, but then they chained off the the church. They put up fences around the church. And so Amazing. they've locked them out. Then there's a missionary in, in Finland who I just got a video from, and they are now arresting a couple of pastors have just been arrested in Finland just for, for preaching in an open space. And I think they even had a permit and they came and got them anyway. So that's just a couple of examples. But I know we shouldn't be surprised because, of course, Christ said in John 16, 33, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. We know that, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And even as far back as Job 5, 7, man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. So I know we are to respond in an attitude of submission to Christ and trusting our Heavenly Father, knowing he is infinitely wise. And he says in Isaiah or it says in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways Amen. your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So God's ways and thoughts are so far above man that we cannot even grasp their fullness. Um, and God recorded in his words specific instances of his sovereign rule over history in order that we might trust him in the affairs of history as they unfold before Amen. us today. So everything we process, I know, must be from the point of wholeheartedly trusting the Lord and his ultimate plan in conjunction with the love of Jesus that he has for us. He will never leave us or forsake us. I love that scripture. And I love that in the Greek, Amen. I think it says he will never, 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 never like five times emphatically forsake us. So I would love it if you could just speak to why we can trust God in the midst of persecution and how believing the love of Jesus, that the love that he has for us will sustain us. Yeah, and I think it comes to uh, his his uh, faithfulness when we think of those different attributes, and uh, we can trust him in times of persecution because we see his faithfulness to those who cry out to his name, you know. Mm -hmm. And I just think uh, when we think of persecution, he's given us, you know, his love. He's given us his his son. He's given us his promises. Uh, the one you just mentioned there in Hebrews chapter 13. Uh, and it's amazing too, because when you look at the history of just his faithfulness to the believers throughout not only church history, but in, in biblical history, mm -hmm. uh, he's incredibly faithful. In fact, uh, Peter uh, will face some persecution. Uh, and Peter was, you know, very obstinate. Uh, and he was in a place where Jesus said, Satan has sought permission to sift you like wheat. But I prayed that your, your faith will not fail. So Peter was in a situation 
and you know, Peter had, had the big mouth and he was arguing with the Lord. That's a big mistake right there. <laughs> and Jesus knew him better than he knew himself and that would be revealed to him. And Peter said, I'm, you know, even though they all forsake you, I will never forsake you or I won't deny you, right. you know, and it denied the Lord three times. And Jesus said that's going to happen. He prophesied that it would happen. When the Garden of Gethsemane, it's interesting because they're there to pray and Jesus will be arrested and crucified the next day, arrested that night, crucified the next day. There you have Peter, uh, which I think is just a fascinating case study of the Lord's faithfulness. I mean, you have Judas who just totally rejected the Lord, you know, right. but to those who look to him, you know, in faith and are sincere, if, if uh, Peter went through these hard times, but he was full of himself. He was arguing with the other disciples and all of them really didn't get Jesus' message about, I mean, at the Last Supper, he's about ready to be crucified. He's talking about his death coming up and, and they're arguing about who's the greatest. And it's like, it shows you his patience with us. Absolutely, you know? And absolutely. it's like, when we look at them, there's three fingers looking back. Okay, where can we be doing that in our lives? And Jesus, you know, girded him, you know, himself with a towel and washed Peter's feet. And Peter's like, no, you're not going to, because you have no part of me if you don't let me do this. That and is so, such a great example of humility. And sometimes when amazing. I, oftentimes when I get too full of myself and my pride and I think about the Lord of glory stooping to wash the disciples' feet, isn't it? It just yeah. puts me where I need to be, which is slain <laughs> and down and bowing in to That's his right. glory. And he said, let this mind be in you, Paul, which is also in Christ Jesus, although he's in the very form of God. He didn't consider equality of God something to be held on to. He talks about he became a man, died a death, not just any death, but the death on the cross. So we're supposed to have that mindset. So he washes Peter's feet, Peter's feet, and he says, happy are you if you do likewise. What's after that, that Peter's arguing about, I'm not going to deny you. And then it's in that statement where Jesus basically tells them it's gonna, what's going to happen. He'll deny them three times with the cockroach. They find themselves at the Garden of Gethsemane, and they're falling asleep. And Jesus, here's the Son of God considering it needful to pray, and he's even going through hematidosis. There's blood coming out with his sweat out of the capillaries because of the intense, and they've only found in forensic science just over 100 cases like that, and Jesus is one of them, you know? And he goes to Peter and the apostles, and they're sleeping. He goes to him three times. He says, and he says, Peter, when he, could you not pray one hour with me? I believe what he's saying there is, Peter, you say you love me more than all these guys, and you're going to go to prison and death with me, you say? But you can't even pray. Can you not pray one hour with me? Right. He's trying to get Peter. He's not being mean. He's saying, Peter, you need to realize who you are and that you can't put confidence in your flesh. Exactly. So I think when times of persecution come, it's very important that we don't put our confidence in the flesh and that we realize it's by the grace of God we stand. Uh, and of course, uh, you know, Peter denies the Lord three times, but the Lord looks at him after the third denial, uh, after he comes out of the court, Caiaphas' courtyard and, uh, or the, the, the place of trial. And it must have been just this piercing. I don't look. At, I don't think it was a condemning look. I think it was a look of just incredible disappointment. Absolutely. And Peter wept, mm. and uh, and Peter was restored. And he said, "When you restore, when you're converted, restore you restored, uh, strengthen your brethren." So then Peter knew. And Peter, you know, we have the parable of the sower. And there's four different soils, and one of the soils is persecution. Talks Mark four talks about persecution and falling away. And Jesus said, "If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before God in heaven." So all those thoughts must have been going through Peter's head. So it's it fascinating to me that Peter's like, but he sees that Jesus still loves him. He weeps. He comes to an end of himself there to a degree. And I believe that was a, a weeping of repentance, godly sorrow that led to repentance because Jesus does restore him. He does. And he, yeah. you know, Peter denied him by the fire. And the, and the, it's funny, you only see that word fire, a charcoal fire, mm -hmm. a couple times. The next time you see that is John 21. And Peter's back to fishing, which is where Jesus first called him. Mm. And he restores Peter. 
And Peter's back fishing again. And he says, hey, cast your nets on this side. They're like, what's this guy saying? And they do it. It works. And it, John says, John always had some, because he was closest to the Lord, he really sought him out. And he had this spiritual insight. It's the Lord. You know, Peter, though, jumped in the water, swam to him. That's, he loved the Lord, but not the way he said he loved the Lord. He wanted to show him. So he says to him at the fire where he's warmed himself, because now think about it. He's wet. He's it's a morning. He's freezing. He's warning himself just like when he denied him. And just when he was first called, he's coming back to his first love. Oh, and look then, at that continuity. Yeah. How beautiful. And he said, gives him three to- chances. Three right. times he says, I love you. Right. But it's interesting. The first two times he says, do you agapao me? Which is agape, that, that strong word that's used for God's love so often, you know? And then the third time he says, do you phileo me, Peter? And that's that less, less that's a mm-hmm. strong love, but not quite. And it says, Peter was grieved because the third time People say he think he's grieved because he said it the third time. Well, that's part of it. But it says because the third time he says, do you phileo me? Mm. And what he was letting Peter know is because he said, do you love me more than these, Peter? Now, I don't think some, a lot of commentators, oh, well, more than the, the fishing and going back to the old life. No, I don't think I was talking about He's talking about the other disciples because <laughs> they're going to all deny you, but I won't. And he's letting him know, Peter, you have to realize that you need to grow in grace and grow in your love for me and not think that you've arrived and that you're invincible. Paul said, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Mm-hmm. So I just think it's amazing because Peter's restored there. When, then I read First and Second Peter in that light because Peter talks about growing in grace. Yes, you can see it all over the pages the of that. The spirit of grace yep. will rest upon you when you're persecuted. Yep, yep. And, and so that's a, a wonderful point, and I think that's such a great takeaway. And I'm so glad that you said that. It's just we cannot, we cannot fight this battle in the flesh when persecution comes, we have to rely on God and on the Holy Spirit Amen. and on Absolutely. Christ. That is so important. And that's such a wonderful picture. I love that example of Peter. Yeah. That was and he learned terrific. That. He learned Peter was it, big right? and bold and, you know, at least he comes across that way. But he realized he must rely mm-hmm. on the Lord. Mm-hmm. And then he talks a lot about that. He talks about, you know, not suffering for as a criminal, but suffering according for, to the will of God. Right. And for his sake. To and to word faith movement or right. prosperity movement. That God just wants you to be blessed, 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 blessed. Well, yeah, he wants to bless us, but he blesses us through suffering as well. And right. That's how we're conformed to the image of Christ, Christ. sanctification. Exactly. Well, that was a, w- a wonderful example. So maybe you might have a couple of witnessing stories that that you have, that you have have handled persecution in such a way that you can practically share with us. Maybe, I don't know if there's one or two. I uh, know you did it in Jerusalem once. I do remember that story. I think but. I'll share a local California story. Then I'll, I'll share you okay. the Jerusalem story too. That's, that's good. Cause I, I must've told you about that before then. You okay. did. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. In uh, LA one time. And this, this was, uh, this was a very trying aspect of persecution. And, and we haven't gone through any persecution. You know, I think of Hebrews when he writes to the, Hebrew believers, who are going through heavier persecution than we are, but uh, not as heavy as they could have been. And I say that because it's somewhat relative, and the Lord wants to let us know that, I mean, what we're going through here in America, for the most part, is nothing compared to what a lot of people go through. Right. And the author of Hebrews says, you know, in Hebrews chapter 10, he talks about how they've endured a great you know, amount of persecution. Some of them have lost their homes. You're visiting those who are in prison and so forth. But he says to them in chapter 12 that none of you have resisted to the point of shedding your blood yet. Absolutely. And, and they hadn't because otherwise they wouldn't be on earth. They'd be in heaven because they'd be martyred. So he's talking about the ones that are still alive, obviously. So he's saying you haven't really gone through that yet and letting them know that uh, it, it, things can get worse. But, you know, also 
Look to Jesus, author, the finisher of faith. And so I think it's interesting, uh, but, but we still go through things. I remember uh, we're sharing the gospel uh, in, in Hollywood on Sunset and Highland, and it was probably around midnight or so, and we'd sometimes share till you know, morning time. Uh, and my wife was out sharing the gospel with me and, and uh, people from our fellowship and, and Doug Stebbleton and others, some people you know. And, uh, and then there was a, Satanism was really in vogue at the time, you know, it's early 90s. And uh, this guy, and he, I'm, I'm not kidding, he had to be, you know, 105 pounds wet, you know, but he was a full-blown Satanist. And he came, you know, wearing the Satanic regalia and, and Satanism was really popular. I mean, it still is but it was like heavy metal and everything, you know. And he's like hissing, literally. And he's got his, you know, the, the, the devil horns with both hands he's making. He's going, and he's hissing, you know, Satan, praise Satan. And, you know, at first I thought, is this guy I'm, I'm just messing around? Like some people do that kind of stuff. And I go, ooh, no, he's a full-blown Satanist, the way his whole get-up was. And he was praising Satan. And, and I was further, a little further away. I heard him doing this. And I saw, oh, he's doing, and he starts spitting. And I realized he's spitting at my wife's feet you know and I go over there and I'm it, by my past I was a brawler you know my friends that grew up with me people that are saved in this fellowship I knew my lifestyle in the past and in the past I would have been in the flesh real quick and uh I got because that's the only thing you're in <laughs> before you know Jesus right <laughs> but I went over there and I'm standing next to my wife and part of me I'm sorry just my flesh it was like and I said hey don't you be spitting at her you know and uh, he wasn't spitting on her, but he was spitting at her feet. And I was like, wow, Lord, I have to keep my witness here. You know, I'm a young pastor, you know, mid-20s wow, or so. Wow, that's and, a crucial moment. Yeah, and I want to be yeah. a good witness, and I want to be a good witness to my wife always as well. And and I need to be a good witness to this guy as well. And the scripture that came to my mind was Titus chapter 3. And I believe that Paul, when he's sharing with a young pastor, Titus, he tells him, uh, that, you know, we're to remember where we were when we deal with the world. That we once, too, were foolish and we once were disobedient and deceived. I was deceived and I was disobedient. And, you know, we lived our lives in, in the lust of pleasure and so forth, he says. And we were, uh, you know, malignant or we were hateful and so forth. And then the kindness of God that appeared to all mankind. And, and then he saved us by his grace, but not on the basis of works. So, I, so that was me. You know, I would... I could say, well, I wouldn't have done that, but I was doing way other, more evil things in other ways. And I'm like, okay, remember where you were at, Joe. That mm -hmm. scripture, when Paul says, remind them to, mm -hmm. to Titus, mm -hmm. remind your congregation that this is where we once were. Because as Christians, we have to be careful when we're being persecuted that we don't look at, we wrestle out against flesh and blood. And what we could do is start to write off those, I mean, guess what? There were people that were persecuted by the Apostle Paul when he was Saul. Uh, that were had a hard time or knew his reputation. Oh, absolutely. him at first. Absolutely. You know? <laughs> What's so, he doing here? That's <laughs> they right. They were scared, scared first, <laughs> and, and then, yeah, and, he's and, done so much damage. <laughs> are you kidding me? Yeah. Exactly. So, and, and, and then he ended up saved. I thought, you know, I've got to, so my mind's racing at times. It's like, okay, don't respond physically. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood. Okay, it's spiritual. And the weapons that we have are not carnal or physical, but they're mighty through God pulling down strongholds. So pray. Obviously, if he starts, you know, spitting on my wife or to spit on my wife, then I'm stepping between him and her. Uh, if he gets physical, you know, I just grab his arms and, and you know, try to, try to stop him, but not pummel him. And I'm praying, you know, like, Lord, like the flare prayers, okay, give us wisdom right now. 
And just as I'm praying, Lynn, or crying out to God, like, Lord, give us wisdom in this situation, because he was so antagonistic. And it was, we're on the corner, there's traffic, and there's people and everything. There was this, uh, this, this big black man, young guy, maybe probably in his early 20s or so, uh, with a boombox back in those days when he had those big old boomboxes with the music, a huge one on his shoulder. He's a giant guy. He's about my size. I'm a pretty big guy. And he's walking. He's got like five or six of his friends with him, and they're like walking. And it's almost like clear the, clear the, you know, the sidewalk because we're coming through because his music's loud. He's coming. He's coming right as this is happening, and he's saying he's blaspheming the Lord. This guy, and he says, "What you say about my Jesus?" <laughs> Oh, brilliant. <laughs> and then, uh, well, it set that guy to flight, and they chased him. I don't know what happened because. Wow, I, God I, sent I a deliverer. Got, I, <laughs> I thought it was like, you know, I don't, I, you know, uh, he was, he got, he probably got the flesh, right? But it was like, the, you know, maybe he was brought up with a Christian background or whatever. Right. Uh, but uh, he, it was a word fitly spoken. It was, right? I felt it was, it was like the Assyrians had come, you know, mm-hmm, to discipline, mm-hmm. you know, or whatever. It was yeah. like, wow. And, uh, they took off, and we're just watching them go down. We lost. They went down the road so far. We didn't see what happened. Right. Yet. And I was like, that was one instance, and it was like, okay, uh, but you made is- a really important point that I just want to touch on. A, I, I love the story because there's so much happening there that's uh, just great for us to glean from. The the praying and the not reviling back, but of course, if it got out of hand, you were going to do what you needed to do. But I love the fact that you brought that up, that God reminded you, such were some of you, basically, and that when you're saved, sometimes we get so far in our walk that we forget what we've been saved from, and we were like them, usually worse, if we're honest, and so not not to treat them the way that, you know, we automatically want to treat them, which is with... Uh, in, in our flesh that you're talking about, but just to remember, and that's good to remember in all situations. Nobody is past redemption. We don't know. We don't know what God is doing. So we have to go from that from that uh, place where it says, "Absolutely, we love we were there, and right? We were there and could could still be there. So let's have mercy. Absolutely. But at the same time, be protective, like you just did, like right. you were. Amen. And another time that sticks out because you mentioned. While, while witnessing, uh, we were at Ben Yehuda Street in Israel, which is a lot like 3rd Street where we witnessed here at times in uh, Southern California. 3rd Street is just hopping. It's a big wide street with shops and everything. Ben Yehuda Street is named after the guy that restored the nation of Israel's language, Hebrew, to them, uh, which is interesting. That's also a prophecy fulfilled about the Jews coming back to the land and them speaking their own language again. Yep. And uh, we're on the, we're up, and it's very, it's a lot different atmosphere than, say, L.A. area or you know, Santa Monica area with Third Street, where we, or you know, even Highland or Hollywood. So, uh, because it's a little bit more festive, there's a little more unity among the people, the Jewish people, and you'll see people walking around. You'll see young gals walking around with machine guns and stuff because they're part of the army. Israeli army, yeah. Israeli army and stuff. And, and we were sharing the gospel. I, I was buying some books at a Christian bookstore there. Or a, 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 it's a Jewish messianic Christian bookstore, and I asked the guy. I said, Hey, do you have any really good books on witnessing to Jews? You know, in the land, I forget my exact words. And he's like, he goes, uh, yeah, we have some. And I already grabbed a couple. And and he, and he goes, are you going to share the gospel? I go, yeah, you know, we're going to share the gospel over at Ben Yehuda Street tonight. And he goes, oh, can you bring me with you? He goes, he was kind of bummed. He goes, I'm, he goes, you know what? There's so many Christians that come to this bookstore and, and they're coming. They just come to tour Israel, but my people are perishing and I don't think Paul would just tour. I think he'd want to tell people the truth. And you know, I'm not. That's a good point. Yeah, and I thought, oh, that, look at from his eyes, you know. And, 
And uh, we were staying at Christ Church, and uh, not far from Van Huda Street. And I said, yeah, why don't you join us, you know? So he's witnessing with me, and I'm sharing with a Jewish guy that I ran into a totally different place like a few days before. He was really open, but he's part of the Orthodox Jewish young group there. There's a lot of Orthodox Jews. And I started talking to him again, and he's with me. And I'm sharing some of the typologies and pictures of Christ in the Old Testament, which really are great ways to share with Jews. And uh, I loved, we love typology. And Abraham bringing up Isaac to the mount is a picture of the father bringing his son up the same mountain, Moriah. Amen. Three days, three nights, same length of time, carry the wood on his back, Jesus the, the cross, and so forth. And I'm sharing things like that. And he's opening up his heart. He goes, this makes sense to me. Well, at this time, a lot of younger Jews, and these guys are in their 20s, 30s, begin to surround us. And they have walkie-talkies, and they have Hebrew shirts that says anti-missionary. You know, I don't know what it says. I asked my friend, I go, what's that say in Hebrew? Because I don't know Hebrew. Right. He's like, it says they're, they're anti-missionaries. And, and uh, before you knew it, uh, and, and I'm still trying to, now he's getting on the Jewish guy that's with me that works at that bookstore. He's a Messianic Jew that believes in Jesus, loves Jesus. And I'm like, and as we're sharing, he goes, it was just kind of crazy because uh, they were talking to him. So as they're talking to him, I'm focusing on the guy that that I was witnessing to. And then he says, hey, Joe, Joe, don't, don't do it anymore. You know? Uh, so I'm like, man, he was like, like a fish on a hook, man. He was so close, oh. you know? So I was like, well, Lord, you're ultimately in control. And I've said a lot to this young guy and that was open. And then all of a sudden, they usher us down. We went to the top end of Ben Hughes Street. They're ushering us down Ben Hughes Street. I think it's, I'm assuming it was south, but we're just going back from where we came. And... And there are a few more still surrounding us. I'm talking, you know, 10 guys or 12. I'm not sure exactly how many. Could have been 10 or 15. Uh, and they're walking us out. And uh, now he tells me later that, you know, the government of Israel, they put up with the Orthodox Jews because they have an influence of the government, but they also can get hostile and alone. They'll let him go so far. And as we're walking, uh, the, the big guy that's standing next to him is punching him in the arm. Because he's saying things. Even though he wanted wow. me to pipe down, he's saying something. And as we're walking, I'm like, what are you saying? Because he's, he, the other guy's yelling out, these are missionaries, you know. Uh, and he goes, I'm just hearing one-liners in the gospel, you know. I'm just saying, you know, Jesus died and rose or whatever he was saying. He said, I'm just sharing the gospel. And, 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 I, and we're going down and he starts punching him in the arm. And all these other guys are getting kind of amped. Riled up. Like mm-hmm. jumping up and down like, they're, like they want to fight to fight him or something. They're not doing it to me. And I don't know if it's because of my size, or I don't know if it's because they know I'm a Gentile, and it wouldn't go over good right. for tourism. I'm not sure what's going on. But, and all of a sudden, you know, and so it was a little mob ushering us down the way, and I'm just walking with him. Because you had a Paul moment. I mean, really. I mean, weren't you, didn't you feel like you were in the pages of the uh, you know what? New Testament? I, 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 not at that moment, at that but time. a few minutes later I did. Yeah, okay. Because at that moment, I turned around and just stopped. Because the crowd's right, the most crowd's behind us, and that guy's next to him, next to me, and he's hitting him in the arm now. And I'm like, I gotta do something, but I can't blow our witness. So I turn around and just stop, you know, and look look at the guys that are, and everybody just stops. And I'm like, stop it, you know, and don't, you know, don't hit him. And and, uh, and then I'm just, and we're just like a standoff. I'm looking at them, they're looking at me. <laughs> and then all the brother next to me is getting hit. He goes, Joe, we're blessed. Wow. It was powerful. powerful. It was so mm-hmm. powerful because mm-hmm. now it, it, it was wrong for me, I felt, if I didn't do something to try to stop it but not get physical. So I did what was in my mind. but And I wasn't saying, hey, I'm going to thump you guys or whatever. I just said, stop, man. And then I'm standing there and there's face off. There's a lot of energy there, you know, like 
just like this mob kind of spirit, you know. And he says, Joe, we're blessed. I mean, he was letting me know, don't worry. He goes, I feel like I'm blessed in what's happening. And and that's that's so important because Jesus talked about how when you're persecuted, he said you are blessed. And it was neat to see that he had that in mind when he was getting hit. So he must have been thinking that the whole time, okay, I'm blessed. Blessed are those who are persecuted for my namesake and those types of scriptures, which Peter Peter talks about, by the way. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, and Jesus talked about the Sermon on the Mount and so forth. Uh, and... And then I and and then they just calmed down a little bit and we began to walk, but they continued to follow us. Now, right now, I mean, there were like you know two different officers that came across us when this was happening, and one, uh, <laughs> one they wouldn't do anything though, and one it was a, two were in a car, and so one of the officers that stopped was like, "What's going on here?" And uh, I had some pictures in my Bible, so as the cop took off, I threw a picture on his dashboard as he's taken off. They don't like to be your picture be taken. I found out they just like you're not allowed to take our pictures. So I just did that, and uh, I didn't know what they'd think, but I thought they would think, uh oh, he has pictures of us now, right? Of who that if something clever. happens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then we keep walking, and then one of them picks up. He hops over a fence where there's road work being done, and now we're in a darker area, and there's very few people. And he picks up a piece of asphalt, throws it over the fence, and he's coming after us with the asphalt, like we're gonna be stoned to death. So. That's when I began to think of Paul and Israel. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's when the book of Acts came to life. Yeah. Yep. And then I was like, and you know what, Lynn? At that moment, I thought, wow, it tripped me out because this feeling that I have right now is what Paul felt over and over and over again and went through it. We didn't actually get stoned to death or near death as Paul did. And uh, some of the other guys that were with him made him put it down, you know? And then he said, and then we kept walking. And then all of a sudden, we took a turn into a strange neighborhood. And they all stopped like they hit a plexiglass wall. Bam! Like they would not cross the street. Like they were like, and they had a look on their face like, ah, like they were disappointed they couldn't do anything about it. And I was like, what just happened? How come they all just stopped? He goes, we just entered into the Muslim quarter. Wow. So they did, in fact, hit some sort of wall in that sense, didn't they? Yes, right. I thought, man, Mm -hmm. I'd never think I'd be feel so safe in a Muslim <laughs> neighborhood. Of course, you start preaching Jesus, then you've got to go back to the Jewish quarter. You know, the, <laughs> sure, you but know. I love those examples because I just learned so much, Joe, from those examples. God protected you. Your testimony was sure. You were calm. You can be persecuted, but if you're prayed up, basically is how I want to say it, key. you're walking in the spirit, you know the Lord is with you, and protecting you, Amen. that he'll give you what you need to say in that moment. Amen. And that you are going to try to love these people and remember, remember, remember that you're blessed in the midst of that and can rejoice in it. And that is a wonderful, like I said, practical example. You moved right through all of that. By the sort grace of, of God. By the grace <laughs> of God and like Paul. And we can too, right? Amen. I always Absolutely. say that we have 100% of the same Holy Spirit that Absolutely. Paul did. That's right. So thank you so much for that. Well, I hope you enjoyed part one of my discussion with Pastor Joe Schimmel. Definitely listen next week for more encouragement for your soul. We all need it. We need it all the more as we see the day approaching. And as always, thanks so much for listening. Mm